This is On the Line, Keystone in Nebraska. It's Tuesday, August 8th, the second day of testimony on the Keystone XL oil pipeline. Today, why did TransCanada choose this route through Nebraska? One way to avoid crossing the Niobrara at a scenic location site would be not to cross it at all, but to use a different route, wouldn't it? That would be an unoption. And the mainline alternative would accomplish that, wouldn't it? It would, but there would be other challenges. I'm Grant Gerlach of NET News, the NPR and PBS station in Nebraska. Each day on this podcast, we summarize the arguments being made to the Nebraska Public Service Commission before the commission decides whether to give Keystone XL the green light in Nebraska. Today, we wrapped up expert testimony from TransCanada, the company that would build the pipeline, taking questions mostly from the attorneys representing pipeline opponents. And the big question behind much of it was, how TransCanada chose the path for the pipeline in Nebraska. Ben Bohall was there listening. Hey, Grant. And Ariana Brocious has been following things, too. Hello. And uh, we wanted to organize things around a few key words for what we heard today, and those are alternatives. Perpetuity. And hot pipe. The hot pipe. Can't wait to get to that. Um, So uh, first one note, NET is providing a live stream of the hearing, so if you want to hear and see what we do, The link is at netnebraska.org to see the stream of the actual hearing during the day. Uh, First up, that word alternative. So let's go back to that question we heard off the bat. What we heard was landowner attorney Dave Domina asking TransCanada engineer Mira Katari about alternatives for the pipeline route. And here's another question he had for her, which was, why did you choose a route that's so controversial? Because it wasn't like that when TransCanada built Keystone 1 in 2009. You didn't have opposition. True? We had uh, feedback and review uh, that was completed. uh, And and with that, we completed the project. And you completed the project with objections that involved legal, legal objections from one landowner, correct, in Seward County? So with Keystone 1, not a lot of objection. There has been so much controversy over this Keystone XL pipeline. Ben, There was a lot of this talk about the alternatives for this route in Nebraska. What was the discussion around that? Well, something I thought was interesting is Domina kind of pushed towards this thought of, you know, public interest. You know, he kept claiming, you know, why is this such a a difficult concept if in the end it's going to make your company look a lot better? Uh, With TransCanada, the big issue here is is kind of mainly cost. You know, it it said its preferred route is virtually a, a straight line from a pumping station in Alberta, Canada to another one in Steel City, Nebraska. And they argue that that essentially has the least amount of impact on properties. And, you know, moving the route, which, as we all know, TransCanada has already done years ago to avoid Nebraska sandhills, you know, that would be costly. And and the company would require, you know, new right-of-way agreements, which, of course, they'd like to avoid, you know, time, money. Yeah, I believe it was John Schmidt who said, you know, at one point we did kind of take a quick look at this, you know, where we'd have to deal with essentially 40 more landowners. If they took one of these alternative routes. Exactly. And one thing that Domina suggested today that was sort of interesting was, why don't we just designate a part of the state for our oil pipelines? You know, I mean, speaking hypothetically and kind of just to, to push for some, some answers, but saying if this is where the first route went and there wasn't much opposition, why not put this Keystone XL pipeline there too? And so a lot of this is to try to set the table for the argument that instead of going through um, the, the area in north central Nebraska near the Sand Hills, that maybe it could just go along this first pipeline route where there wasn't that much controversy the first time. Right. 
Uh, well, that brings us to our second word, and that is perpetuity. Um, we also learned today that someday, after the pipeline has stopped pumping, landowners could be responsible for keeping an eye on the route of the pipeline. Ecologist John Beaver was testifying for TransCanada, and he was being questioned by landowner attorney Brian Jordy about monitoring the condition of the pipeline after it's no longer being used. Well, Keystone will monitor the right-of-way for its entire operational life. And then what about after the operational life has ended, but the right to own and control the route continues on in perpetuity? Would they still have the duty to monitor? I believe it reverts to the landowner. So the responsibility to check on the route after there's no oil in it anymore goes to the landowner after it's not being used by TransCanada. And the question there was in perpetuity. Does it, does that mean forever they're responsible for that? Yeah, and I think that's a concern for a lot of the landowners, right, is that um, just the idea that this may not ever go off their property. And if, you know, there are changes down the line um, in land ownership and things like that, the, the pipeline, even if it's not operational, will still be there. And so this is one of the conditions that um, the landowners have said they'd like the Public Service Commission to put on TransCanada is that it's not an easement that goes on in perpetuity, that there's some kind of limit to it for the number of years it would last or something. Well, TransCanada finished with its witnesses this afternoon, and then right away, Dave Domina tried to shut the whole thing down. Yeah, it was interesting. He he put forward a motion to basically dismiss the application outright, um, which he was joined in by all the other uh, lawyers representing the Ponca tribe, um, the Yankton Sioux. Sierra Club. Yes, right. Bold Nebraska. Um, essentially saying that thus far, the evidence TransCanada put forward is not sufficient um, to to prove their burden of proof um, that this is in the public interest. And uh, Judge Flowers pretty immediately said, well, you know how I'm going to answer that. Uh, I can't. Um, I can't support that. There's way too much evidence that's been presented so far. There's a ton of material here. Um, but she did say, you know, perhaps if you are correct in your assessment, then that will be the decision of the commission, and we'll see how they decide. So she was going to leave it up to them. She wasn't going to stop it at this point. Okay, and that brings us to our last word, or, or words, hot pipe. Um, shortly before we sat down to record this, the landowners started with their witnesses for cross-examination. Art Tandrup took the stand. He's a farmer near Neely, and I actually talked to Art for a story recently, but not about this, not about hot pipe. Um, the oil in the pipeline would be heated up so that it would move through the pipe easily, and he's concerned about that. Right, Ariana? He's concerned for a few reasons, and one of them being this temperature, um, the hot pipe, as you mentioned. So basically... The ground temperature under, you know, four feet of soil has a certain temperature year-round, and this would change that temperature that the oil that's moving through the pipeline in that vicinity would elevate the ground temperature, which he says would potentially let um, insects and pests overwinter. It could damage the roots of his crops that reach down that far. Uh, those are sort of his major concerns. And there was a question earlier in the day for uh, John Schmidt, an environmental regulations expert for TransCanada, about the hot pipe. And he was asked by landowner attorney Brian Jordy about that. And uh, the significant word in here is significant. Quote, Keystone does not anticipate any significant overall effect to crops and vegetation associated with heat generated by the operating pipeline. Is that correct? That's correct. And um, does, is there a glossary where the word significant is defined anywhere within Section 13? No. 
So TransCanada is saying it won't be a significant impact, and they're asking, well, what does significant mean? And that applies to the, the hot pipe issue, but also a lot of other things like erosion. Yeah, and this came up throughout the hearing, too. There was a question from a commissioner for, uh, for John Beaver as well, you know, in terms of how could this not have an effect on the soil? And, you know, uh, the TransCanada officials have kind of pointed to their first line or first pipeline as, you know, as proof for them that their, you know, reclamation procedures in general, you know, have been are careful and successful. They've, they've pointed to other techniques like using mulch and, and cover crops to prevent erosion, too. So this kind of fell along in that entire argument as well. So they were saying, look at the first Keystone Pipeline and, and the job we did there. Exactly. But then the landowners are coming back and saying, well, what does it say here in this in the application about who's going to measure the impact and, and who's going to be accountable? And one thing I think we saw today was um, some of this sort of skirting around the issues that um, Judge Flowers ruled in advance of the hearing would not be considered. And so one of those big issues for landowners is potential for spills or groundwater contamination during the operation of the pipeline, not just the construction. And there have been some, in the first landowner we heard from Art Tandrup, there was a, an exchange where he was trying to kind of list impacts related to concerns he had around his groundwater wells that didn't consider spills or or leaks. And so it's been interesting to watch that. Uh, so then how do we finish today and what happens tomorrow, Ben? So tonight it, it seems like they'll probably hit the point of, you know, closing testimony from landowners and that will probably close out the evening in general, just depending on how long the commission decides to go, probably not much longer. You know, then we'll hear from the likes of uh, Bold Nebraska, the Sierra Club, the Ponca and Sioux Tribes, and finally the labor unions. So it should be a long week. Well, that's day two. We'll be back tomorrow to catch you up on the day's arguments on Wednesday. Subscribe to this podcast on the line, Keystone in Nebraska, or listen on demand at netnebraska.org slash keystone. For Ben Bohall and Ariana Brocious, I'm Grant Gerlach from NET News. We'll be back tomorrow with more on Keystone XL.